I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, their songwriting techniques, and occasionally getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. Welcome to episode 182. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Barty Strange. The genre-bending indie rock musician made his triumphant return this year with his second studio record, entitled Farm to Table. In today's episode, we're speaking with Bartiz about the brilliant new record, why indie rock could use some diversity, and his time working in Washington during the Obama administration. Here we go. Our guest today is an English-born, American-raised musician. Having always been creating music and writing, he left his nine-to-five job a few years ago to pursue music full-time. He came crashing onto the scene in 2020 with the brilliant Live Forever, and this year, he returned with the equally brilliant Farm to Table. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Barty Strange. Hello, sir. How are we? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. I'm... uh very excited to talk to you. I, I just see the records on your wall and you've got three up there already that I'm in. Oh, four. Yeah. Great taste. Nice job. I tried to um, make this as accommodating to yourself today as I could. I tried to kind of dig through what I could find that might, uh, you know, just make that mood just a little bit more comfortable. So <laughs> very much. Uh, yeah, you nailed yeah. it. You nailed it. You've got all my <laughs> friends up there. <laughs> well, I'm glad that uh, we were able to kind of find something that, that could compete um, Bartiz, again, thank you so much for your time today. It is, um, w- without kind of describing, I guess, being rude to other guests that we've previously had on this record that we are about to talk about, Farm to Table, your record from this year is, I think, one of my favorites. And, um, I'm very excited to kind of chat to you about it today. Thanks. I appreciate that. It is, um, the record has been out since June this year. It's been winning accolades, kicking goals kind of everywhere for yourself. How are you feeling now, a few months removed from the release and now that you've had a bit of time to let it breathe in the world? I am honestly just like really glad I made it, you know, like because I felt like after my last album, I was like really hell bent on like, proving that it wasn't a fluke my you know and just being like you know like i'm actually good at this and i'm gonna make a lot of records like that's how i felt in my my body personally so it feels really good to put it out and to hear 
positive feedback and to know like, okay, cool. Like I've got over this little hump, this little step, you know, like (laughs) the sophomore album, like I did it. It's fine. We can move on, you know, (laughs) that's a nice feeling. (laughs) I can only imagine. Um, well, yes, you have, you've kicked it out of the park and it is a brilliant record. As I've said, um, for you, this kind of record is touching on, I guess, that experience of where you've gone from that first record, Live Forever, um, to, to now. Um, and it, even in the name with Farm to Table, you're discussing, I guess, those original roots from where you began to now kind of, as we've discussed, your friends that sit behind me for, this is a podcast, so for those people that can't see, there's records by the National Phoebe Bridges. I think there's a Lucy Dacus one here somewhere. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess what was the, when you sat down to create this record, and I believe you did it pretty quickly after the release of the first one, but where did your mind kind of sit? Where did you start in wanting to have this as, I guess, a bit of a a, a story of your journey from from there to from, I think, Oklahoma? Yeah. Well, I think that I just, yeah, well, I think I just had, like, honestly, like a lot of people, I just had a lot of time to reflect, you know, like Live Forever was doing really well, but everything was kind of dire for so many people around me. You know, it was COVID, there was no vaccine yet. We didn't know if touring was going to come back. I never thought I was even going to really get to tour Live Forever, you know, and, but I was still, there were so many things that I was celebrating, you know, like the record did do well. Like I was able to quit my job. I, I signed a record deal to like a label that I admired forever. And I was starting to meet artists that I kind of had like on a pedestal as like the, 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 the great ones, you know, Courtney Barnett, the (laughs) national like bands that it's just like, well, like these, these are like the rare special kids, you know, and I'm starting to meet them and understand that we're not that different. And so I had a lot of new thoughts that I hadn't had before. And I kind of wanted to make an album that kind of commemorated this moment in my life because I knew it was special what I was experiencing, this transition. And I didn't want it to just go by without like recognizing it for what it was. And and this album is kind of what came from that kind of recognition of what I was going through at the time. 100%. Just touching on what you kind of said when, when Live Forever came out, was there any concern? For, uh, every single person has self-doubt, but was there any concern from yourself that it wasn't going to do well or that, you, that the record wasn't going to kind of get your name out there? Well, I had just previously put out um, like a record of covers called Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy, which was like all of these new, like a reimagined versions of songs by The National my favorite band. And so that started getting my name out there in a new way that I wasn't used to. I wasn't used to putting out music and people like hearing it. (laughs) And so (laughs) through that experience, I was like, Oh wow. Like this impacts my next release. Like there will be people waiting on it. And that kind of freaked me out. Cause I was like, well shit, like, what if they want it to sound like these national things I did? It's not going <laughs> to sound like that. You know, it's actually very different. Um, and so, yeah, it did make me a little nervous, but I was also just really excited to like finally have some support like behind a piece of music I had made. So I was like in a very like 
explorative process. I was like, we'll see how this goes, you know? Mm -hmm. Of course. One thing that has been discussed quite a lot in the press, uh, it seems like almost every story kind of touches on it. And I know that you might be a little bit tired of talking about it as well. So I'm going to try and approach it in a different way today, but is the, the genre defying nature of yourself and these records that I know you just touched on. What if people who listen to that EP don't like this or what if it doesn't sound like this, it seems like both live forever and farm to table don't really adhere to kind of like one set genre, which it's sh- records shouldn't these days. Um, and again, I know you've talked about it quite a bit. I want to kind of, instead of making you explain it for maybe the thousandth time, <laughs> I thought maybe I'd take a crack at why I think it's kind of like that, or maybe one of the reasons why, and then see if I've got it anywhere in the ballpark. Yeah, cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what my idea is, is that the reason why all of these songs kind of, because even one song itself will have a few different genres within that four to five minute track. My thought is that it's about subverting expectations. One of the reasons why I love Farm to Table is because I feel like I have to stay on my toes the whole record. I can't relax during this record. And I mean that as a compliment. It is Mm -hmm. about keeping the listener engaged and also keeping yourself engaged and yourself interested, if that makes sense. Yes. Am I anywhere in the ballpark with that? Yeah. No, you're, those are things that are very true about my music. And, uh, and just to add, I also like, I feel like people don't really consume music the way that they used to. Like, even people who say like, oh, I just like country music. It's like, that's not really true. Like, there's like a crazy range between like Hank Williams, Woody Guthrie, and like Chris Stapleton. Like, those artists are so freaking different. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you're you're listening to actually like pop. You're listening to outlaw country. You're listening to blues. You're listening to rockabilly. You're listening to folk just by being there, you know? And so I feel like with my music, it's kind of just like playing on that theme and being like, yeah, we're all listening to everything, right? Like we're all listening to Cardi B and like Mangla Stallion and we're listening <laughs> to like Lil Nas X and I'm listening to Chris Stapleton and I'm listening to like, you know, all these things are happening at the same time. So let's make records that kind of reflect reality, you know, and trust that the artist vision is enough to make the record um, have continuity, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I am, I'm, doing my research in today, it seems like, and I thought this might've been one of the other things is that the sheer exposure that you yourself have just had to so many different genres over the years. I know that as we've discussed, you're a big fan of the national, wherever they are sitting behind me, um, that you've, you've had quite a bit of time within the, the punk and hardcore scene that, uh, you were exposed to a lot of opera as, as a child with your mother uh, being an opera singer. And then I think your dad, had quite a um, a beautiful record collection, Funkadelic Parliament, things like that. So you've kind of been exposed to all these different genres and had all these different kind of experiences in these worlds. Would would I be right in kind of assuming that as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I felt like from an early age that all of those songs and all those sounds were like connected, you know? Like I was like, yeah, like Funkadelic sounds like Led Zeppelin. Like they kind of sound similar. Like 
big riffs, big vocal hooks, big jams. You know, like I was in love with the similarities between the artists and also understanding like historically, like, oh, all these people are operating at the same time. Like I thought that was really cool too. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, I guess, going back to, um, if we're going to do the Bati's origin story, do you remember kind of first having that interest in music yourself, wanting to songwrite and wanting to to perform? Yeah. And it, I honestly didn't start with like music. It just started with like sound. My dad bought me um, like a tape recorder. I think it was called a Talkboy. I don't know if you remember that toy, but I think it was from Home Alone 1 and 2. That was the recorder that Macaulay Culkin <laughs> holds. Yes. Yeah. And they started marketing those little recorders. And I used to, every morning, like, wake up and do the weather forecast into it and then, like, play it for my family. Because I, <laughs> I was just in love with, like... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Recording. Like, I could record my voice. I could play it fast, slow. I could slow it down. I could speed it up. I just thought it was, like, fascinating, and it was on, like, this little cassette, and, like, it was like a physical thing. It, it really like blew my mind. And so I just kind of was on like a tear, like recording like everything, like anything I could record. And so music in a creative sense didn't really find me until I got older. Like many years passed. I was probably 15, 16 years old. My mom was an opera singer. And my experience with music was always in like a very stringent environment like you had to be like very 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 good to get anything out of music after watching my mom and her friends like very highly trained like athletic musician you know like freak level piano (laughs) players and singers and i was just like i don't know if that's like my i don't know if i really want to do that but then i saw like tv on the radio and like block party and these bands with black people in it that were making music that was like loud but like very emotional And I think I really connect to the emotion because I realized that the music became second to that emotion. And I felt like I could express that too. I was like, okay, well, I feel like I can make that. That feels like something I can do. And it was really inspiring to see people that looked like me act like being that emotional on stage, on TV, in front of thousands of people. It was something I think at the time I was very closed off and didn't know how to share my emotions. So eventually getting a guitar and writing songs was a way for me to kind of get out of my shell, I think. 
100%. I know you've previously spoken about um, about kind of the influence of Block Party and TV on the radio that, that have had in your music and that you've also spoken about, I guess, the music of the national indie rock as a whole and that while it is a beautiful genre of music that it does sometimes have a little bit of a race problem in terms of that it's not, uh, it is a lot of middle-aged white men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that it, it obviously could do with a lot more diversity, a lot more, um, I think diversity is the best word for it. I can't think of another kind of phrase to use, but have you since kind of coming into the the public sphere in the last few years, I feel like I've seen your name quite a lot in, in quite a meteoric rise. Have you heard from any people yourself, I guess, about the influence that you're now having on people who are wanting to get into Indian people who are wanting to get into the scene? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. I, I get a lot of messages from people who are black and who see me and are inspired and like want to make things, want to start a band, asking me for advice, you know, things like that, which I think is amazing. What I'd love to see and what I hope happens is like a further reckoning across the space that kind of looks at our genre of like indie music, alternative music, indie rock, whatever you want to call it, and starts to kind of be honest with itself about the people it's being made for and how we can like change that. Because I love the national and all that stuff, but like TV on the radio was like, that shit like showed me that like things were like possible. That like, that was like, you can't be a doctor until you meet a doctor kind of situation. You meet a doctor and you're like, Oh, I can be a doctor. Like that's what <laughs> TV on the radio did for me. I was like, I can like just like make music and just like yell and scream and like be in a band and like tour the world. Like these guys, this guy's from like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He figured it out. You know what I mean? It's like people that aren't white need to see that as a possibility for themselves. And I think ultimately that makes all the music better. That makes everything better. You know, it's like we need more Eve tumors. We need more like Taja Cheeks, you know, we need more people of color, queer people, trans people like rising in this industry and not only just like having a couple good records, but having like careers. Because the thing that I love about the national is like the career, like the fact that without radio hits, without like huge singles, they did this like beautiful, slow <laughs> and steady rise over, you know, 15 years to be now like this band that's just like so sick, like my fave, you know? <laughs> and it's like, there needs to be a black band like that. Or like some Indian kids should have that. Like Chinese kids should have that. You know, we all should have a part of this space. And I hope that my music can be like, you know, a part of that, hopefully a movement in that direction, you know? 100%. I, I, I hope for the same. Obviously it's very difficult as a, uh, as a white person in Australia saying that, but there is hopes that I think as well, just what I said before that in the loveliest way with no disrespect to Matt Berenger and the guys is that um, there's only so many stories that can be told again and again and again. And by bringing new people, new groups into this kind of scene, you're able to hear new stories and not, you're able to experience new things as well, which I think is, is, is a plus. 
Yeah, definitely. And 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 also the the cool part is like we can all get to know each other a little better. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a a fascinating part of your career, Bartiz, that I was hoping to discuss in your kind of career trajectory, because I know that you came to music in your teens and and there was discussions of bands then, but then you also went and worked in DC for a period of time and maybe the most, maybe not most unmusic job, but most musicians that we speak to on the pod, we've had a range of of, of, uh, personalities on here. We've never had anyone who was kind of uh, part of the, the, the Obama administration, I think as a press secretary for the FCC. Um, I guess, what was that part of your history like? And then what was it that drew you back from that into music? Yeah. I mean, I had like, (laughs) that was an amazing experience. I mean, so I moved to DC right out of college. um, And I mean, Obama was the first person I voted for actually, um, which I think when I moved to DC, I was like, I really want to meet this guy. Like if, you know, if that's even like possible, mm-hmm. um, my naive, I, you know, being naive, but ambitious. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I worked as a lobbyist and eventually worked my way up. I was a press secretary for, for at the FCC for Obama and got to meet him at work and at events and things like that. And that was like crazy, like definitely <laughs> a highlight of my life. But as soon as it became real, I remember feeling like something was missing and I was so depressed and anxious that whole time. I thought it was just a byproduct of being like a person that worked in DC, but I realized everyone around me like loves their job and I kind of hate this and I don't know why. And it was because I had kind of sold a big part of myself to do it. When I moved to DC, I sold all my music equipment. Like I really was trying to commit myself to being like a nine to fiver and just like get a job, get married, have kids, like make money, like do it in a big way. But like that's what you're going to do. Um, and after doing that for like four years, I think I kind of just cracked. Like I was like, the money isn't really worth it, you know, because I feel like I'm giving a huge part of myself away to like be this other thing. And so then I moved to New York and started playing in bands again and working in like the labor movement and the climate movement. But my life had a new focus. I definitely was a lot more focused on making things, um, recording music, writing songs, learning more about the process. Have you had anyone from that previous life reach out now that you are seeing such success and kind of, I guess, touching base or at least, uh, yeah, I guess reaching out to you. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember like the whole time I was like working all these jobs, I played in bands, you know? So I was the guy that like on Thursday night hitting up the like Slack channel, like, yo, mm-hmm. playing tomorrow at Transpicos, like y'all should come, you know? Like, so everyone <laughs> kind of that I worked with was like, oh yeah, Bartis is like a musician and they were all really supportive and like, my bosses would give me like extra vacation days. I would like tour and track records and shit. But like, <laughs> you know, now those people all reach out to me and they're just like, yo, like, we're so happy for you. Like, uh, you know, I put like my old bosses on the guest list and stuff. It's really nice. <laughs> like, That's the, awesome. The cool thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but as I was hoping to talk about uh, the fact, I know you've been, I think you've just gone back from Europe or the UK, you've been touring with Phoebe, you're about to go on tour or currently in the midst of a tour with, with the National. Um, how are you finding touring? And then the cliche question that's always going to come up when you're speaking to a different country, when can we expect to see you touring Australia? Oh, goodness. Well, touring is crazy. I'm learning <laughs> a lot about touring. I've never done it like this. I mean, the last year and a half, I've toured with all these people and I'm about to have like my first ever headlining tour later this year, which I'm like, wow, that's going to be amazing. Um, I hope that I can get to Australia one day. I I feel like it'll happen in, in the next year and a half or so, but not this year. Um, but next year, maybe. Yeah, I could see it happening. I look forward to it. I know that there's a lot of people uh, down here who are very interested in seeing you come and play. So I think that um, once that does happen, whenever it may be, you'll have no issue in in kind of filling some venues down here. I hope so. <laughs> um, Vartis, lastly, we would usually ask our guests uh, what they're currently listening to, if there's anything that's currently on high rotation for yourself. Um, yeah, there's an EP by Donna Masal that came out, I think, in March. Um, and there's a song on it called Insecure. It's like my favorite song of the year. I love it. <laughs> I'll make sure that we include it uh, in the show notes to this podcast, as well as uh, the links to Farm to Table. But Bate, thank you very much for your time today. I do appreciate it. And thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Barty Strange for his time. Farm to Table is out now, and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to buy the record. We also want to give a huge shout out to Sweetie and Jess at Remote Control Records for helping out with today's interview. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Wednesday and Friday morning, and we now have a Patreon, which you can find within the show notes of this episode. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.